Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times, it's what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report and what telly doesn't tell you. This time, Murdoch Most Foul, reflections on a story that has dominated the headlines this week and the proprietor who was sought to profit from it. The Sun newspaper claimed that a BBC newsreader, later identified as Hugh Edwards, paid a 17-year-old for explicit images, which, if true, would be illegal, given the age of the young person involved. This so-called scandal quickly unravelled. Although The Sun had spoken to the parents of the supposed victim, they hadn't talked directly to the young person themselves, and they, through their lawyers, said the story was rubbish. The Metropolitan Police investigated and found there was no case to answer. Hugh Edwards may well face questions about his behaviour on other occasions when he emerges from hospital, where he's receiving psychiatric help. And the BBC's response to the crisis has also been scrutinised. But we're only discussing any of this because Rupert Murdoch's flagship UK tabloid published a story which was essentially untrue. Not for the first time, as families of the Hillsborough tragedy quite rightly and frequently remind us. Murdoch was forced to close down the News of the World in 2011 because of the phone hacking scandal, which is still costing his company News UK millions every year in settling compensation claims. Despite that, politicians still pay court to the Australian, the ultimate media influencer. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and Labour leader Keir Starmer were among the guests at the Murdoch's annual summer party in London recently. We're going to hear from Nathan Sparks, who is CEO of Hacked Off, which campaigns for a free and accountable press, and Francesca Kosciani, who is an associate at Hodge Jones Allen Solicitors. Francesca frequently represents those accused of sexual offences, including where privacy is an issue. Before we do, though, just a reminder that the Byline Times podcast is funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times. That's our wonderful monthly newspaper, which combines the best of our online offerings with content that you can't read anywhere else. Find out how to subscribe over at bylinetimes.com. That's at bylinetimes.com. Francesca, Nathan, welcome both. Francesca, just take us right back to the start of this story because it may well have become muddied by some of the events of the last few days. How did this story start and why was the newsreader, who we now know to be Hugh Edwards, being accused of a criminal act? Hi, Adrian. Yes, well, at the beginning of the story, it appeared that The Sun was alleging that a BBC presenter was paying for sexual images of somebody under the age of 18. Now, being in possession of sexual images of a child under 18 is indeed a criminal offence that's punishable by a prison sentence of up to five years in prison. So indeed, that would have been a criminal offence had he in fact been in possession of sexual images. The age was raised by the Sexual Offences Act 2003 from 16 to 18. And so had it been true that he was in possession of sexual images of somebody of the age of 17, that is indeed a crime. And I'm sure The Sun is very well aware of this, given their background with page three and the age of the people that they used to publish on their newspaper. Indeed, and people have been pointing out in the last few days that The Sun made hay out of publishing topless pictures of people like Samantha Fox, 
when she was just 16. Presumably that would be an offence these days. Absolutely. That would very much be a criminal offence right now. Wow. And in fact, for anyone having that, say, on their computer, that would also be a criminal offence. So not just distributing it or taking such pictures, but just being in possession of it and knowing that you have it in your possession is a criminal offence. And of course, they didn't publish Hugh Edwards' name. That came to be known later on. His wife actually named Hugh Edwards. But I suppose once the story was out there, it was inevitable that Hugh Edwards would be named, regardless of any laws around privacy. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I don't think that's that's right, because the very early stages of any criminal investigation, the courts have made it very clear that you have a reasonable expectation to privacy. That is until the point that you are actually charged with a criminal offence, which, of course, he wasn't. In fact, he hadn't even been arrested and it wasn't even clear whether there was such an investigation taking place. It's a curious one because, of course, more allegations have emerged about Hugh Edwards, albeit from anonymous sources so far, and nothing has been proved about his behaviour. But all of the momentum of the story around him has come about because of something that was published that was essentially Mm. untrue. Yes, absolutely. What have you made of it, Nathan? Well, I just think this whole saga just illustrates how powerful the press is in this country, and particularly the Sun newspaper. They published this story on Friday. Within days, if not hours, government ministers, the prime minister, opposition spokespeople were falling over themselves to come into line with the Sun's central, basically a proxy attack on the BBC, and all fell, fell into that. A week has passed. There's a man who's now been hospitalised. His family is in turmoil. There's a young person who is the son presented as the victim of all this, who's had their very personal drug addiction issues and family estrangement issues splashed across the press. Every major media outlet has been hooked on this story without focusing on stories like the former prime minister not handing in his phone to the COVID inquiry. The original story, the basis of the evidence, looks weak in the initial story. We now know it's even weaker than what it appeared to be because we've had this young person come forward and say they rubbished the allegations and say nothing inappropriate or unlawful happened. We now know there was no illegality. So on the basis of what is a very poorly substantiated story with a very weak public interest justification for it, there has been so much damage done And these leading politicians get falling over themselves to fall into line with the narrative that the sun has presented. And people say that newspapers shouldn't be regulated. These are the most powerful organisations in the country. It's probably the most powerful industry in the country. And it just underlines for us why it's so important that these organisations meet independent standards of accountability. And when you say weak public interest, I mean, of course, had the story been true, I think you'd agree that... A BBC newsreader contacting a young person to obtain images which would be illegal, highlighting that would be in the public interest. The weakness is in the evidence which lay behind it before The Sun published it. And The Sun had a responsibility to investigate that properly before it ran the story. So there are things that it could have done. 
I mean, it, we now hear reports that the family tried to initiate criminal proceedings previously and were told by the police that there was no legal case to answer. So why on earth the son went ahead anyway if they, they should have spoken to the family and they should have known that and then they shouldn't have gone ahead. But if they didn't know, then they should have spoken to them anyway. So it's just the whole saga just shows really sloppy journalistic practices of the son. And you've hinted at perhaps a motive that went beyond exposing potential wrongdoing by an individual. You've described it as a proxy attack on the BBC, of course, the Sun newspaper, the Sunday Times, our rival news organisations, likewise the talk radio and talk TV news empires as well, which are all part of the News UK operation. We've seen organisations like GB News jumping on the bandwagon as well, which ideologically is aligned, it's fair to say, I think, with Rupert Murdoch. So this isn't simply a case, is it? It would be naive to see it as a case of just one individual being accused of potential wrongdoing. No, it's the only reason I can think of that The Sun pursued this story on the basis of such flimsy evidence. There's a long history of parts of the press, particularly the Murdoch press, attacking the BBC and their interests, either through political lobbying or through their editorial coverage. And I can think of no other reason why they pursued this story other than to try and damage the BBC again. And Francesca, I know that the right-wing papers very often attack human rights legislation generally, but it's human rights legislation that actually gives people like Hugh Edwards and the rest of us the right to privacy in law. That's, That's one of its key features. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, what I think is that if the press is going to turn your life upside down, they need to have a really good reason to do it and they need to have treated you fairly. And what's clear from this story is that he's not been treated fairly. There's not been a due process. And what we may think is socially unacceptable has been conflicted or or deliberately mixed up with illegality. You know, as you said, it's part of a much bigger issue, you know, when it comes to human rights. It's a reason why we have a right to privacy, a right to a private life. That's Article 8 of the European Convention of Human Rights. And there is a reason why before you're charged with any criminal offences, you have a reasonable expectation to that right being upheld by the authorities. And that's not really what we've seen here. And indeed, the presumption of innocence until proven guilty. And everybody has a right to access a fair trial that is, again, protected by the European Convention of Human Rights. That's our Article 6. Everyone is supposed to be the same in front of the law. Everyone should have access to a fair trial. But how can you have access to a fair trial if you're being tried by the media or by the court of public opinion before your case even gets to the court of law? The criminal justice system is not perfect, but we have laws and procedures that have been developing for decades, centuries, and that's to ensure that somebody has access to a fair trial and that some sort of justice is achieved for all the parties involved. But in contrast, the inherent purpose of a tabloid newspaper you know, and that's not controversial to say, I don't think, is to sell news for profit. In my view, that's a strong conflict of interest with what you're actually trying to achieve by exposing a story like this. And that's why it's so dangerous when justice is is tried to be carried out 
by a newspaper versus a justice system. And Nathan, I mentioned this charge sheet against the Murdoch Empire, going back to the Hillsborough tragedy in 1989, 34 years ago. But that still resonates today, I think, because many people feel that the son has never truly atoned for wrongly accusing Liverpool fans of having caused that tragedy. We then have the closure of the News of the World, which gives rise to your organisation to hacked off because of the phone hacking scandal and so on. This sense that the Murdoch empire hasn't been truly held to account for what it has done over the years. No, and I think its coverage of the Hillsborough disaster is for the people of Liverpool to forgive and not me. But for a start, one thing that the Sun could do in the wake of all that, which Hillsborough justice uh, groups have called for, is that it could join an independent regulator so that in future its journalism is actually accountable. And when it publishes things that are not true and smear people just to satisfy their own narrative or the narrative of the politicians that they try to suck up to or the police or whoever it is, then they're held properly to account. And they could also stop trying to lobby against the second part of the Leveson inquiry, which would look much in much more detail into the Sun's coverage of Hillsborough. And I just want to draw a bit of a contrast. So you've mentioned the phone hacking scandal. When the newsgroup newspapers, which is the publisher of the Sun and News of the World, first became aware of allegations of widespread phone hacking at News of the World, their response was to settle cases out of court for massive amounts of money and to hope the problem went away. And yet today, when there is talk of kind of BBC scandal and the BBC's response was, okay, it wasn't perfect, but they attempted to contact the complainant at least two times. And since the scandals broke, the Director General's been taking interview requests and they've shone a spotlight on themselves with their own coverage. The contrast between the two organisations' response to scandal is extraordinary, where newsgroup newspapers tried to cover up the phone hacking scandal at News of the World for many years. And even over the last few days, again, with this scandal, with the poor reporting that has emerged and the holes that have emerged in the Sun's initial coverage of this, we've not heard anything from Victoria Newton, the Sun's editor. We've not heard anything from Chief Executive Rebecca Brooks, the owner Rupert Murdoch. What a contrast to the way that the BBC has featured this scandal front and centre in all its coverage. It's gone overboard, in my opinion. And Tim Davey, the Director General, has been taking interview requests and made himself available and so on. So just for the Sun to criticise the BBC about its handling of scandal is just absurd. The Sun is, of course, a member of IPSO, the Independent Press Standards Organisation, and can be held to account through that mechanism if people feel that they have been wronged. Why, in your view, is that not enough? Well, first of all, Ipso is just controlled by the newspaper industry itself. So there's very little prospect of Ipso ever holding the sun properly to account. I mean, Ipso has been around for sort of nine years now, I think, and it's never once issued a standard investigation against any of its newspapers. It's never fined a newspaper. It's just got a, a really shoddy record. And should we be surprised? Because the Sun's publisher's legal director sits on the body that controls Ipso's rules. The whole organisation is kind of packed with representatives of the press. And it was set up specifically in rejection 
of the Leveson recommendations, because Leveson, after part one of the Leveson report, he recommended certain standards which regulators should have to meet for the press in future, things like they should be independent of the press itself. And IPSO violates the vast majority of those. So we cannot rely on IPSO to exercise any competent accountability here. But that's why we campaign for IPSO to be replaced by an independent regulator. And that is characterised often by your critics as effectively state control of the media, the idea that you would have to register with the government if you're a news organisation and be subject to government control if you said something that the government didn't like, that this would be the beginning of the end of a free press in this country. Well, that is a criticism, but it's a laughable one for a couple of reasons. First of all, we already have a Leveson-compliant independent regulator. It's called Impress. Its members include publications like Byline Investigates, The Canary, publications you might all have opinions about, but government propaganda, they are not. So to think that this means, by this logic, the government is kind of dictating the editorial coverage of The Canary is obviously an utterly absurd position. And secondly, because the Leveson system guarantees total independence from the state and politicians. Anyone who's been a politician is completely banned from being involved. A party political politician is completely banned from being involved in the system of regulation at all. Compare that with Ipso. Ipso is run by a politician. It's run by Lord Fawkes, a member of the House of Lords who votes on the laws of the land, who was in the Tory party one day before he became Ipso chair, and who was in the government a few years ago. And on its rule-setting body, you've got Lord Black, who's a conservative peer. So he's not only a politician, but he acts and votes for the, the governing party. So actually, what you find with Ipso is that it's too close to both the press and politicians. The Leveson system would put an end to all of that by having a genuinely independent body, which is completely independent of both the press and politicians. Leveson 2 was promised after the initial Leveson inquiry. This would have been an inquiry into the extent of the links between the press and politicians and the police as well, because that was something that Leveson identified as an issue. And we've heard on the podcast before, Peter Dukes arguing that Leveson 2 was nobbled because Theresa May wanted the backing of The Sun and the Daily Mail to hold on to her premiership. Absolutely right. There's a series of former met senior police officers who some of whom investigated phone hacking at the news of the world and said there's no phone hacking going on here which was later to be proved completely untrue who then went on to get well-paid jobs in the murder press those things need to be investigated there's the fact that the met police relied on the fake sheikh mazamamoud's dodgy evidence time and again for convictions which also needs to be investigated. There's the occasions that we've talked about, like Hillsborough and after Orgreave and so on, where the press seem to work hand in hand with the authorities, the government, the police, in order to present a shared narrative which smeared the victims of those cases. There's everything connected with the Daniel Morgan murder, which I'm sure you've covered on your podcast before. Indeed, many which times, needs yeah. to be, <laughs> Which needs to be investigated. And there are these ongoing close relationships between politicians and, and the press, which continued to this day. I mean, only a few years ago. In fact, on the very day that the government cancelled Leveson Part 2 in the House of Commons, the minister, Matt Hancock, made a statement cancelling it, which was widely held to be very misleading and misrepresented the public response to the government's own consultation on the subject. So there's just a lot of evidence of government wrongdoing 
to cover up the misdeeds of the press, all I suspect in the hope of receiving favourable coverage in return. And all of that needs to be investigated as part of the second part of the inquiry. Are you surprised, given the extent of the misdemeanours of the Murdoch press, that Rishi Sunak, that Keir Starmer are still happy to be seen at the Murdoch's annual summer party? I just think it shows how tremendously powerful they still are. People talk about kind of newspapers falling out, losing their power and because they're losing print circulation. But actually, newspapers are better read today than ever in history because through their websites, they reach more people than they ever have. Over 7 million people read the Sun newspaper website every day. 75% of voting age adults are exposed to newspapers every month, either in paper or through their websites, the national newspapers, I mean. So if you've got an industry that is so powerful, that has such extraordinary access to the British people and the electorate, and yet is totally unaccountable for whatever it publishes, I think politicians are always going to try to suck up to that. It's our job as campaigners to hold them to account. And it's the job of honest politicians with integrity to put their self-interest to one side and stand up to them. And Francesca, we have an individual in Hugh Edwards who has been wrongly accused of illegality, but whose name has nevertheless been dragged through the mud and who has had to receive psychiatric help as a result of that. Is there any redress through the courts for Hugh Edwards for what has happened? Well, I think Hugh Edwards should really consider getting some advice in relation to what his position is as to whether he has a claim for defamation or whether his privacy rights have been breached. It's very, very sad that the story has been handled like this and that he's now in hospital. Of course, anyone who's accused of a criminal allegation will suffer, you know, some sort of impact on their mental health. It's absolutely terrible for your reputation and and well-being. But to be wrongly accused in such a public and vicious way is very, very sad. So absolutely, I think he should really consider his position in relation to any action he may be able to take against the newspaper. Francesca, thank you very much indeed. That's Francesca Kosciani from Hodge Jones Allen Solicitors. Thanks also to Nathan Sparks, the CEO of Hacked Off. I'm Adrian Goldberg, and you've been listening to the Byline Times podcast, funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times. Get more details about how to subscribe over at bylinetimes.com. This has been a We Bring Audio production for the Byline Times. We'll see you again very soon, but thanks for listening for now. Cheers now. Bye-bye.